Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. We're in the middle of a little series here uh, called uh, Rooted, uh, Growing Up and Growing Deep. And what it's meant to be is a little bit of an exploration of uh, the idea of discipleship and, and really recognizing, you know, having come through the pandemic and, uh, you know, going through this challenging transition uh, at Calvary, uh, we, we recognize that in the midst of all that, we lost sight of one of our, our goals and one of the big goals of the church, which is to be a community that actually disciples people in a way that's transformative, in a way that actually helps people uh, grow deep. You know, you could ask ourselves, is our church being successful based on the question, how many people attend every Sunday morning? We don't really feel like that's actually a good metric. A, A better metric for us would be in five years of your journey at OVC, do you look substantially more like Jesus than you did before? Right, that's a better question. Uh, to be asking. And so we're really just uh, beginning to kind of unpack that and as, as a community try to understand some of what that means. Um, and then and, and, and what this series is meant to do is help us wrestle with some of the things inside of us and, and in our surrounding culture that actually just make discipleship difficult, that make, make it hard for us uh, to engage deeply or, or commit to processes of discipleship that will actually be uh, transformative. Uh, we've said, to put this slide up every time, just an introduction. We kind of desperately want the results of discipleship, deep intimacy with Jesus, uh, a, a better ability to care and love people, uh, transformation uh, so that we're more like him. But if we're honest, we uh, struggle to commit to processes, to consistency, to consistent devotional lives, to deep embedding in community in a way that's going to shape us. And so what are those things that kind of uh, sort of hold us back? What are those things that kind of uh, make make it hard for us to engage? We've talked about our individualism, our distracted nature, anxiety. And uh, this week we're going to talk a little bit just about the social tension. Uh, There's a reality that uh, being a disciple of Jesus means living a little bit differently. It means you are going to conform to Jesus, you're going to become more like he is, and that is, in a fundamental way, going to make you a little bit different from the voices around you. It's going to make you a little bit different from your culture. And there are lots of ways in which we as people, we we just don't want to be different, right? We just don't want to wrestle with some of those tensions. And our culture is a, is a very, you know, difficult place at this moment. And the church is actually feeling this in a pretty deep way. Uh, we see people drifting toward the poles, uh, you know, in terms of polarization. Uh, we see, you know, people sort of locking in as more sort of right, right, right conservatives and more left, left, left uh, lefties. We see people doing that in our culture, people drifting to a church that more suits their sort of political uh, spectrum. Uh, we see a good number of people that are, are feeling that tension of the culture wars and who have just checked out of church uh, completely. Uh, there's actually a really interesting study uh, by a group in the States which I should have wrote down its name, but I don't have it here. Um, Oh yeah, the Public uh, Religion Research Institute. Um, And they did a study of nuns. What nuns are, or not nuns, um, (laughs) N-U-N-S, a study of N-O-N-E-S, which are people that would say that they have no uh, religious affiliation whatsoever. 
So people that have checked out of church altogether and just aren't attending anywhere. And they asked them the questions about, you know, what is it about the teaching of the church, specifically the teaching of the church that made you uh, step away from the church and, and choose not to be engaged with it anymore? And one of those uh, issues, uh, looking at different groups of Christians within the broad spectrum of people who would call themselves Christians in North America, looking at people who were part of mainline churches, 49% of people who left mainline churches, so a mainline church would be like, a, uh, like in the States, an Episcopalian church or some of the big Presbyterian churches, some of those big heritage churches in Canada, we would say maybe something like the United Church or the Anglican Church, some of those mainline churches, people who have left those, 49% of people who left mainline churches in the U.S. to not be engaged with Christianity at all have done so because, I'm trying to find the language here, uh, because the teachings have lost meaning and don't make a difference. So they become uh, washed out. They become sort of relativistic and, and not clear and not practically uh, helpful in some ways. And so people just sort of drifted out like this is just not uh, connecting with me. It's, it's, it's so wishy-washy, I, I can't engage with it. But on the evangelical side, 47 people, and amazing how close those numbers are, uh, have left evangelicalism to become nuns, to become nothing. Uh, to, and they've done so because the teachings they feel like have lost um, uh, a, a sense of compassion, have become too rigid on moral issues, right? And so people uh, have left evangelicalism because they feel like it's gotten too sort of shouty and angry and, and lack compassionism, compassion. So that, that's happening there. And then you've got people in the middle who are, who are saying, you know, we, we've got to come to the center and we've got to have peace. We've got to sort of bring it together and really understand what Jesus is saying in our culture and, and make that work. And those people trying to make peace, pastors among them, uh, there, there's 42% of pastors in the last year have said, I'm ready to check out. I'm not one of them, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, but 42% of pastors in the last year have like, like seriously considered leaving the ministry. And the reason that they've done that, uh, it, the, the third highest thing on that list, one, they feel immense stress, 56%, 43% uh, say among, you know, they're listing a number of things that they're feeling, uh, say they feel isolated and lonely. And 38% are just ready to check out and leave because of current political divisions. These are U.S. stats. Like, like it's just gotten so hard in my church and in my context to have a conversation with anybody about anything that it, it, it's gotten just political, and I'm, I'm not sure I, I can handle the pressure. Right? And so there are also a lot of people that are just like, all this culture war, all this fighting, like, like I'm, I'm almost just ready to be done. I'm ready to check out. And, it, and it's challenging because when you uh, engage with almost any issue in our culture, uh, you find that pull to the poles. You find that pull uh, of polarization. Uh, there's a guy named Todd uh, Detheridge, who's, uh, I think his name probably doesn't sound, Detheridge. It's probably Detheridge or something like that. Uh, you've got death in your name. I don't know. There's got to be a better way to pronounce it. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he commented just recently. Again, this is just sort of an evangelical commentator. Commentate, com commented recently on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And he said two different things. He said, one, he said, making space for the humanity of Palestinian innocence doesn't mean you condone the ideology of militant Hamas or the brutality of the recent attacks. 
Or is he just trying to add some nuance to it and say, if you're caring for these Palestinian people who are suffering, that doesn't mean that uh, you're condoning everything that Hamas is doing. And then his next statement was, uh, making space for Israeli safety and a military response doesn't mean you condone all the policies of the Israeli government or every aspect of that response. That guy got canceled by both sides, <laughs> right? And if you look through that, like just looking through that Instagram feed at those comments, just the vitriol of people like at him for being anti-Israeli and the people at him for being anti-Palestinian, when really what he's, I think, trying to do is to sort of find a Jesus way of compassion. Like, where is Jesus in that conflict? Well, he's caring for those little children in Palestine who are, who are suffering and who are, uh, you know, who, are, who have been, had their houses bombed. And he's caring for those Israelis. I mean, I watched an interview uh, with, uh, with a man who literally watched his brother and his wife and his wife's uh, and their daughter literally have gasoline on them and just be burned. Right? It, it is possible, like, where is Jesus in that? He is a loving character walking through the streets of Gaza and walking through the streets of Israel saying, will you people please come to me? Will you come to me and come and find me and come and know me and come and know my love? And so you, but, but you can't say something like that almost in this culture without taking hits on every side, and it's every issue. It's indigenous issues, human reproductive issues, how we care for the homeless, how we help those with addictions, foreign policy, the justice system. Uh, polarization, polarization is everywhere, and it's actually really painful for Christians to walk through and find a Jesus way in the midst of all that. Uh, we feel like Mr. Incredible here uh, in, I don't know if you know the movie The Incredibles, uh, I think it was Incredibles 2. He's walking on this narrow bridge, and he's got to get out of this room, and the guns sort of start coming out from both sides as he's trying to walk this narrow space and, and find a, uh, you know, a way forward. Um, if you hold, you know, uh, say, say, look at, uh, at human sexuality, right? If, if you hold a, a traditional view of marriage and sexuality, right, there are people on one side that they want to shoot you. And if you say, but we really want to approach those who, who are, are not holding that view and we want to approach them with love and we want to protect them and we want to care for them and we want to, to include them as part of the body, uh, there's a whole group of people on that side who want to shoot you, right? And so to walk in this tension of being a, a Jesus person who is uh, trying to hear uh, Jesus speak about holiness and righteousness and, and what he's taught and to, and to hold a view that is... Um, uh, biblical in that way, yet at the same time hold intention, compassion, and love, and, and mercy, and, and inclusion. You're, you're, you're Mr. Incredible on the bridge, and the guns are... It's, it's not a comfortable place to be, and, and we as Christians are, are in this place where, where we wrestle with it. I'm just going to let this little clip play. We don't have audio for it, but this is kind of what it feels like. And that's how many of us feel. Isn't that a reality of how you feel when you're uh, talking with your friends, when you're engaging with people in your workplace, when you're wanting to have a conversation about these really difficult things, right? It's actually, it's actually really scary to navigate. Am I talking to people who feel this? 
right? We feel this. It's a, it is a difficult, difficult time uh, to navigate. And good people who are communicating into these things, who are, who are good communicators, uh, they're, they're getting canceled and they're, and they're uh, quieting their voices and, they're, and, and, and important voices just aren't speaking because it's just painful uh, to speak. It's painful to walk in these things. And so we're really left with this question, uh, navigating these very challenging cultural issues, is can we find Jesus' narrow way in an angry and polarized world? Can we find a Jesus way? Can we stay on that narrow bridge? Uh, in, in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is talking about a number of things in this, but I think this is, a, is, is, is not a bad verse for this moment for us. It is hard to walk the Jesus way in a polarized culture. It is hard to walk the Jesus way in a difficult moment. And uh, for my part, um, I'm, I'm not one of the pastors who's ready to check out and quit because I actually think it's really possible and I actually think it's, it's really beautiful uh, to navigate uh, all of these issues and, and to stand not with a political party, to stand not with a broad group of people uh, identified by single words like liberal or a word like left or not to be identified with a word like conservative or a word like right, but to really ask ourselves the questions on all of the issues is where would Jesus be on this? Where would Jesus be in this conversation? And what would he say? And how would he speak into it? And, and I just want to say, one, we're not alone in this. There's, um, there's people who are thinking about this. There's a couple of books that, that I would recommend. Um, one is called Both And. It's by a vineyard pastor uh, in the States uh, who's, I've actually met him. He's just this wonderful uh, Jewish Christian believer um, who is sort of navigating all this in his church, right? People have left his church because it's not charismatic enough, and some have left his church because it's too charismatic, and some because, he, you know, these are, these are our things too, right? Some have left because we're not cautious enough during the pandemic. Some have left because we're too cautious. We didn't open in time. Some left because we're too loosey-goosey, don't have enough structure, and some have left because they feel like we have way too much structure and are controlling. Right? Some left because they feel like we emphasize preaching the gospel uh, over social justice, and some have left because they feel like we're not enough about evangelism. Some aren't with us because preaching is too theological. Some aren't satisfied because they didn't feel they were getting fed enough. Right? How do you navigate this world even as a pastor? And how do you navigate this as a church? With, 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 such, with almost everything polarized, right? Some would say we preach too much on holiness. Some would say we're way too loosey-goosey about spiritual discipline. Like how, do you, how do you walk 
in this moment, but, but guys like Rich Nathan and, uh, and Adam Marbury are, are have like walking this as leaders and, and are writing about it. So there's some resources there. And I would just encourage you to pick up, you know, books like this or, or other books and just begin to dig into what it's like to, to navigate. Rich Nathan's in the heart of the political tension in the U.S. and some of the stuff he's wrestling with there is phenomenal. Um, but where I find the hope is, is, is really in the scriptures. And that's the, this first thought that Jesus lived this. So we can live this. Like if we're supposed to follow him, it must be possible for us to follow him. It's not going to be easy. It's not necessarily going to be comfortable, but, but he walked this. Uh, looking at Matthew 9, 10, and some of you have heard me teach on this before uh, through the pandemic a little bit, but uh, for those of you that haven't, I, I want to just unpack this little piece of scripture for us again. In Matthew 9, 10 to 14, uh, it's the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and Jesus got himself on both side, in trouble on both sides of the political spectrum. He was in trouble with the Sadducees because he looked like a holiness guy, and he was going to freak out the Romans, and they were going to come down on them. Uh, with the Pharisees, thought he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and thought he was a raving liberal, and wanted to, they wanted to sh shut him down. So Jesus navigated this conservative, uh, uh, liberal tension in his own culture. It says this, uh, though, about his interaction with the Pharisees. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's, let's paint a picture. Jesus has just had an encounter with Matthew, the tax collector. He just kind of invited himself over to Matthew's place for lunch. Come, I'm coming with all my disciples and all my friends. I'm coming over. I hope, hope that's okay. I hope you got something in the fridge, right? And Jesus comes over and it says he's reclining at the table with them. Uh, it's a picture of, of sort of Middle Eastern hospitality, you know, not chairs around a dining room table, not hanging out in the living room, but gathered around a table and kind of leaning just like they did for the, the Last Supper. Jesus is, is, is in, in terms of his posture, he's in the same posture uh, at the Last Supper as he is with tax collectors and sinners, leaning on one elbow, eating with one hand, one person uh, resting behind him, and, and they're having conversation and friendship. And the Pharisees come in to blow the whole thing up, right? And they come and ask him, like, why are you eating with these tax collectors and sinners? Like, why, why are you doing this? Like, you should, as a Jewish rabbi, you should be separate. You should be away. You should be not hanging out with these people. And Jesus answers in the strangest way. And what I notice almost more than what he does say is what he doesn't say. What he didn't say was, um, you know what, I'm just, I'm just here on a mission. And, uh, and I just really want you to know that, uh, that I'm not engaged really with these people in any kind of deep way. They're not influencing my life and my ministry. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just sort of here as an observer to get to know the culture. You know, he didn't say any of those kinds of, kinds of things. And then when the, when the Pharisees came and, and said, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? He didn't sort of capitulate and say, oh, no, no, I don't want you to see them that way. 
I don't want you to use that language. Like, guys, you're, you're ruining my vibe here. Like, I'm fitting in with these guys. And you're calling them sinners and tax collectors. And, and you're judging them. And you're ruining my ability to reach them and connect with them. He didn't say that either. Right? What, what did he say? He said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come call the righteous, but sinners. So he's chest to back, leaning against the table, hanging out with these, these people who are being judged by the Pharisees. And in front of them, he's calling them sinners in their presence. He doesn't backtrack on that. He doesn't go, guys, you're ruining my vibe. He, he's calling them sick. And so, we, like, could you or I, in, in a group of our, our unchurched friends, say, listen, I'm with you guys, I know you're really sinners, um, but can, I, like, can we, like, grab a coffee? How many of you would approach your friend like that? <laughs> right? That's, that's not how it, you know, how it works. We, we wouldn't do that. But somehow Jesus, somehow Jesus, obviously a Jewish rabbi, dressed like a Jewish rabbi, talks like a Jewish rabbi, living in what we understand, you know, theologically as perfect holiness, not compromising on sin in the least, not in any way softening his language, manages to project something of his love to that group of people so that they still wanted to be with him, with him being clear about who he felt they were. Is that crazy? Like, to me, that's absolutely astounding. It's absolutely astounding that Jesus was able to project this incredible love and grace and mercy and inclusion and desire for relationship that the sinners, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to hang around with him. But he did not compromise on holiness or on his language in any way. That, that seems like almost impossible to me. But because he did it, I think we can at least begin to try to learn how to live that way. To learn how to live that way. And that's what we see, again, in the, in the early church. That's what we see what, in terms of what they modeled when Paul was speaking to different communities about how they navigate uh, their relationships, how they navigate uh, living as, as pure believers in a pagan culture. In First Thessalonians, we have this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Uh, that word for sexual immorality is a Greek word pornea, and it, it includes a whole host of, of things that we would call sexual sin um, in a way that's holy and honorable, uh, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, that no, one's trans that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. This is such strong language because the Lord is an avenger in all. But he's not pulling any punches on holiness. For God has called you for, not called you for impurity, but for holiness. And then just a few verses later, so, so make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
you should mind your own business and work with your hands and get to as many protests as possible, uh, make up some really angry signs and some t-shirts. You know, work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Live in perfect holiness in a, in a pagan culture, but live in such a way that your life is visible and actually draws people uh, to Jesus. We see it in 1 Peter as well. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from your, the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Again, holiness. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So even when they speak against you as evildoers, and, and very often in the early church, the, the behavior of the early Christians was, um, was seemed almost deviant and strange. I think, I think that's the case of, you know, when Christians have, uh, you know, a strong approach to Christian morality or a traditional sexual ethic, sexual ethic in this culture, we're seen as like crazy. Like we're seen as nut bars, right? So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live in holiness. Be like Jesus. Be who he was. But be in relationship with people in a way that they can see his gentleness and his goodness and his kindness and his love. Right? It's a very hard place for us to walk in. Uh, and then what, what do we do about, like, when we're frustrated about policy, when we're frustrated about the government? These next verses in First Peter, but be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as, as supreme or to governors, or sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Living in holiness, in the fear of God. Living with some degree of honor towards our governing authorities. The church isn't showing up like that, or doesn't, isn't perceived as showing up like that. But, but who, like, like look at in this text... I mean, the time First Peter was written, the, the emperor was Nero. Like, like, utterly profane and utterly wicked. And somehow, Paul is, or Peter is saying, you know, you can navigate this as believers, doing what is right, being a society within the society that is pure, that is holy, that is following Jesus, and living in such a way that unbelievers see who you are and what you are trying to be and are actually attracted to Jesus and actually will ultimately come to glorify him in the midst of it. It was possible for Jesus with the tax collectors and sinners. It was possible in Paul's mind as he spoke to the Thessalonians. It was possible in Peter's mind as he spoke to uh, the people he was writing to. And a little bit later in 1 Peter, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Believers living in our culture, in truth, in holiness, walking in goodness, and in gentleness and respect. It is possible for us to do this. And so what do we do if we're not in that place? 
Like, we're all at different places in our journey. Um, what do you do if you're not in that place? What if you do in a place where, you know, maybe you have capitulated a little bit on, on moral issues that maybe Jesus is calling you to, to holiness on? What do you do if you're uh, way out on the, on the conservative right and you're being loud and critical and, and you're not perceived as, as loving? What, if you, what, if you, what do you do if you're not in that place at the tables with tax collectors and sinners walking in holiness and yet somehow they want to be around you? How do we find the Jesus narrow way? And, and, and the answer is discipleship. We're, we're discipled into it. We grow into it. Uh, this is a bit of a complex diagram on the screen, um, but I, I want to just walk us through this really quickly. Um, I hope you guys can see that. I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. But you see that there's a circle there that, that it would probably represent where, where we could be on a number of different issues, where we could be in terms of our posture as human beings. So let's just talk about that first one. Uh, obviously, in the center of the circle, you know, you might be uh, far in the conservative side, uh, aligned with political parties, aligned with, uh, you know, with, with that world. You could be far on the left side and aligned with that world. Uh, but somewhere in the middle is this Jesus narrow way that we're called to walk to, right? We're not called to be in alignment with a political party. We're not called to be in alignment with a political ideology. We're called to be in alignment with Jesus and who he is. So, so where are, are you in, the, in this story? Uh, some of us might be in a place where we are open. We're just intellectually open to every idea that's out there and everything anybody believes is okay. And pluralism is fantastic. It's just absolutely okay to, for everybody to believe anything they want, whether it contradicts one thing or, or, or another thing, and there's no internal consistency to it. We see lots of that in our culture, and we see lots of that in the church. If you're in that place where you are in an intellectual openness that doesn't have a, a sense of, of sort of biblical direction to it, discipleship for you probably means looking at the scriptures uh, looking at the story of Christianity and, and recognizing, you know what, the Bible isn't completely wishy-washy and it, it isn't consistent the same as every other religion in the world. And it is different in terms of its moral framework. And it is maybe clear on some things. So discipleship for me is maybe beginning to seek some clarity that's in the story, some clarity that God has for us. Maybe you're in a place where you're on the other side, you're, you're full of judgment, you're, you're you know, making signs, and you're uh, frustrated. Like, in so many ways, some, some of us are, are frustrated with the way the world has gone, and we're frustrated with the, the moral uh, breakdown in the world around us. We're frustrated with our culture, we're frustrated that we've lost our voice, and we're looking at people and, and looking at them with a lot of judgment. We've lost sight of humility and compassion. If we begin to look now then, as people who maybe are in that judgment frame, through a lens of compassion and through a lens of care and through a lens of humility, uh, what happens? You begin to see people not as enemies anymore. You begin to see people as sheep who are lost. Begin to see people uh, who are, are maybe deceived, see people who have had hard stories and chosen, uh, made choices in life based on, on, on hurts that they've had. 
in their journey. You, you begin to see them in a different way. And discipleship means that we become more humble, we become more gracious, and we walk in that way closer to Jesus. Maybe we're in a place where we're closed, where we feel like, man, I, I, the world has just changed so much. I am just going to hunker down in my Christian enclave, and I am going to hide to the point where I have no relationship with anybody who isn't a Christian, no relationship with somebody who isn't a believer. I have no relationship with anybody who could possibly even view my life like First Peter 2, seeing my good deeds and glorifying God, or Thessalonians 4, um, living and seeing my daily life that it might win respect because I, I'm, I'm hiding from the world in such a profound way. If we're there, discipleship might mean listening. Discipleship might mean, oh man, I, I want to understand the people that are around me. I want to hear where my neighbors are at. I want to, I, I might not be ready to have, you know, a party with all the tax collectors at my dining room table just yet, but I'm going to sit on the front porch and, and talk to a neighbor and get to know them and get to know where they're coming from and get to understand who they are. Maybe uh, you're reactive. Maybe you're in a place where you just are overwhelmed by uh, the the, the sense of emotion that, that is in the culture. You're overwhelmed by this uh, desire to be inclusive, this desire to be progressive, uh, but you haven't really engaged the intellectual side. You haven't really thought through. Maybe the biblical framework for morality is, has some wisdom to it. Maybe, maybe there's a why behind it. Maybe there's some, some rationality. Maybe there's something I need to process and begin to think about so that I can understand what seems like this evil, restrictive uh, Christian morality so that I can, I can look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, God has a reason for this. Oh, there's, there's health on the other side of this. God's love is actually behind this. And so in all of these cases, you, you can probably place yourself on the circle Maybe you're that, you know, open, pluralistic person. Maybe you're that judgmental, angry person to a certain degree. Maybe you're closed and hiding. Maybe you're just feeling all the emotion and haven't given things enough thought. You can place yourself on there and ask yourself, what's your discipleship path? What's your path to growth? What's your path towards the narrow way to becoming more like Jesus? And I think if we will look at our lives like that and begin to say, okay, I'm, I'm not wanting to be aligned with a one-word description. I'm not wanting to be aligned with a direction. I'm not wanting to be aligned with a color, red or blue. I, I want to be aligned with Jesus and who he is and get to know him. Lord, how can you make me more like you? And that's, I think, for us where the beauty is. That's our why. That is what we're striving for. And I think the main reason, apart from uh, just wanting to be uh, aligned with Jesus and, and who he is and, and being willing to sort of take that narrow way, it's simply worth it to find Jesus on the narrow way because Jesus is on the narrow way. <laughs> It's worth it to be with him. It's worth it to be in intimacy with him. It's, worth, it's so much better to be in intimacy with him than a political party. 
It's so much better to be in intimacy with him than, than any other sort of framework that is out there in the world, be it a liberal one or a conservative one. There's, the, the, because it's chaotic and it's crazy and, it, and it's difficult. The place where Jesus is, is the non-anxious presence in the midst of the battle. The non-anxious presence in the midst of the war, striding through no man's land on the battlefield, completely confident in who he is. Jesus is not the least bit insecure about who he is and what he believes in the midst of this. And we want to align with him. Philippians 2, uh, 9 to 11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him. And this is after this teaching in Philippians 2 on the great humility of Jesus coming in and entering into humanity, laying down his life, uh, going to the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A time is coming when every knee will bow. We will not be bowing before conservatism. We will not be bowing before liberalism. We will not be bowing before a political party. We will be bowing before the God who made us all. And we need to be ready for that moment because he is the only one who's going to be left standing at the end he is the only one who's going to be there philippians 3 8 to 9 this is paul indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ my lord for his sake i've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. What are all the things that we have allegiance to that are more important than that? We have to find Jesus. We have to walk his narrow way in the political minefield and do what Jesus did, and I kind of imagine him dancing through it. I imagine him skipping through it in love, in compassion, and in care, fully confident in the world that he has made and how he's made it and what his vision is for it, and calling us to all get in touch with what his vision is for it, to dance the minefield with him. Amber, you guys could come ahead up if you don't mind. We're going to sing a song uh, called Lord, I Need You. And the opening uh, lyrics for it are like, go like this. They go, Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt. And to know you is to love you. And to know so little else. I need you how I need you. This place where we're in is in our culture is full of confusion it's full of doubt it's full of struggle it's full of tension and in the midst of it we need to seek him we need to find him thanks for joining us 
To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca. Thank you.